Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Life doesn't always go our way and people don't always do what we expect them to do, right? And part of the process of being slow to anger will involve you reminding yourself that life requires you to do a lot of forgiving and a lot of forbearing. And if you're going to rein in your emotions, you will need to adjust the world inside of you to the world outside of you. live in a broken world full of imperfect people who don't always meet our expectations. But when people disappoint us, how do we deal with our emotions? Welcome to Know the Truth. I'm Wayne Shepherd, And today, Philip DeCourcy shares some practical wisdom for managing our anger with a lesson in Proverbs titled, Keeping Your Cool. If you missed part one, you can find it over on our website at ktt.org or on the KTT app or podcast. But right now, here's Philip DeCourcy with today's message. Let's quickly look at the madness of anger. The madness of anger. Because if you think about it, anger involves losing control of your emotions and your reactions. There's a madness to anger, isn't there? And I'll tell you why it's mad, why it's insane. Number one, anger is dumb. <laughs> anger is dumb. If you really think about it, now I'm talking about the unrighteous kind of anger. The anger that God doesn't condone, that isn't motivated by the Spirit of Christ. That kind of anger is dumb. Look at Proverbs 14, 17. Proverbs 14, 17. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. If our anger is uncontrolled and unchristian, we will act quickly, and we will act foolishly. We all know this fact. I'm preaching to the choir. Anger breeds folly. And to be hot-headed leads to recklessness. Let's be honest. We've all done something in anger. We've regretted. We've acted like a fool. We wish we could take the words back. We wish we could wind the tape back and not do what we did to our complete embarrassment. Anger is dumb. It's marked by foolishness. It doesn't promote the righteousness of God. In fact, I came across in my research this week of a man by the name of Harry Havens of Indiana. Back in the 1930s, he uh, got angry with his wife. This is one of those guys that liked to go about the house and keep things clean. If the picture was off a little, he straightened it and he would clean the kitchen tops. And on one particular day, his wife made a disparaging remark about the way he had cleaned things. And this really ticked them off. And he said, all right. If that's the way it is, if that's how you feel, I'm going to bed and I'm going to stay there the rest of my life and I don't want to see you or anybody else again. And according to the news article, Harry stayed in bed for seven years wearing a blindfold until the bed became so uncomfortable he had to get out of it. And he wore a blindfold because he said to her, I'm not, I don't want to see you or anybody else again. I mean, how dumb can you get? Huh? But if you ratchet that away down, some of us have done things that are just as stupid. We walk out the front door. 
We go off into the corner and put music on, ignore people. We just do some dumb stuff. Anger is dumb. It's madness. Secondly, anger is divisive. Proverbs 10 verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Proverbs 15 verse 18. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Anger creates animosity. Unrighteous anger, remember, is often driven by selfish jealousy and envy. Therefore, it's competitive. Therefore, it produces conflict. Therefore, it breeds division. It puts walls up between people. It not only um, causes people to react to us, and causes them to push back, it also drives people away. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways. Angry people end up having no real friends, and they do not enjoy intimacy with their family. Angry husbands find it hard to love their wives, and their wives find it very hard to love them back. Angry fathers make it very difficult for children to enjoy an intimate, honoring relationship with their parent. Anger is dumb. Anger is divisive. In fact, the classic example of what I'm talking about is the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. In Luke 15, verse 28, do you know what it says? That when the son come back and the father embraced him and announced the party, and send out the invitations to all the neighbors. You know what it said about the elder brother? And he would not go in. He was angry. His brother had squandered part of his father's inheritance, but this man in anger squandered an opportunity to honor his father and show grace to his brother. Anger is divisive. Thirdly and finally under this thought, anger is destructive. Anger is destructive. Look at how anger is described in Proverbs 27, verse 4. Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent or a flood. Anger here is described as a flood. And here the word of God is telling us that anger is a torrent. Anger is like a river that overflows its banks. There is a place for anger, just as is there a place for a river between its banks, controlled, directed, proper. But once that anger breaks those borders and those banks, it becomes a flood and it's destructive and it takes everything in its wake. It hurts others. It invites the wrath of God. It shatters relationships. It disturbs the conscience. It clips the wings of prayer. It drains us of spiritual strength because of enslaving sin and it produces health problems. Did you know that? Anger not only destroys those to whom it is directed towards. It destroys the one who's giving it out. The Bible wants us to know that if we devour others through uncontrolled anger, we are making a feast of ourselves. Look at these powerful verses. Proverbs 14, verse 29 and 30. Proverbs 14, verse 29 and 30. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Look at verse 30. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is a rottenness to the bones. And anger driven by envy can produce health problems. In fact, do you know 
According to uh, researchers at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, a person with a propensity for anger is nearly three times more likely to have a heart attack than their calmer counterparts. Anger is destructive on the outside and on the inside. In fact, the 18th century British physician, John Hunter, who was a pioneer in the field of surgery and served King George III, suffered from angina. And as he diagnosed himself, he realized that his angina flared up when he became angry. In fact, here's what he said, quote, my life is at the mercy of any scoundrel who chooses to put me in a passion. He's saying, my life hangs in the balance, and if I'm not careful, somebody can come along, tick me off, I get all excited, into a rage, and I'm not going to hurt them, I'm ultimately going to hurt myself. In fact, those words were prophetic because sometime later, he was at a board meeting at the hospital, he got involved in a heated argument with some board member, he walked out in disgust, went into the next room, and keeled over stone dead. Anger is a torrent. It's dumb. It's divisive. It's destructive. That's the mood of anger. That's the madness of anger. Let's look briefly at the management of anger. This is a sermon in itself. In fact, I meant to bring a book with me. I recommend you this. Write it down. It's a book published by Presbyterian and Reformed. It's written by Robert Jones, who's a Baptist uh, professor at Southeastern Seminary. It's called Uprooting Anger. Excellent tool. It helped me, and I realized that the way I'm going to do my sermon tonight, I'm, I'm going to probably raise as many questions as I answer, but that's a resource. If you forget it, ask me, and uh, I'll recommend it to you. But how can we manage our anger? And we must manage it. We must subdue it. These young lions were told that he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. These young leaders were told, look, before you conquer nations, you need to subdue yourself. You need to rein in your own destructive emotions. Let me give you some things here quickly about managing your anger. Number one, be repentant. It's a series of R's here. Be repentant. Step one to solving any problem is confronting it and correctly diagnosing it, right? And that's no less true when it comes to managing your anger. Ignoring anger or burying it solves nothing. Not labeling it correctly is no remedy. Pinning the problem on someone else is simply a means of delaying the real answer. Forgetting that anger is a secondary emotion leaves us dealing only with the symptoms. And what I mean by that is, if you're angry, you need to step back from your anger. That is a secondary emotion. It's what I call a ricochet emotion. You're angry because of something. Maybe because you're bitter. You're unforgiving. You think God is unfair. You're not willing to trust him in his sovereignty. Something's happened to you in your life and you haven't dealt with that before God and you haven't resolved it in your heart. And therefore, you need to properly diagnose your problem, which will involve repentance. That will involve you calling anger what it is when it's uncontrolled and unchristian. It's a work of the flesh. It's a sin and it needs to be repented of. And you need to take ownership for your anger. It has nothing to do with hereditary. I don't care whether you're Irish or Italian. That's irrelevant. I don't care where you were brought up. 
If you were brought up in a tough neighborhood, are you going to pin your problems on the environment? Well, they may be complicating issues, but they are nowhere near the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart. And if you're going to deal with your anger, you've got to be, first of all, be repentant. You've got to stop ignoring the problem. You've got to stop relabeling the issue. You've got to be honest before God and honest before yourself and cry before the cross, God, I'm an angry man. I'm a bitter woman. And I need the cleansing of Jesus' blood and I need the infusion of the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with this inflammation of my emotions that has turned sour and sinful. We need to be honest with ourselves. We have a propensity to downplay our problems. Look at Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can say I have made my heart clean and I am pure from my sin? We need God to put the spotlight on our hearts and call us to a new state of repentance and confession before him about our sin. Because as we saw in a separate study, Proverbs 28, verse 13, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it will have mercy. If you've got an anger problem, admit it. Go to a spiritual leader. Go to a dear friend who loves Jesus Christ and loves you and cry out in repentance for God to help you break that enslaving sin. We need to be repentant. We need to be, secondly, realistic. We need to be realistic. Another preventative measure as it relates to anger is to learn to pick your fight. In Proverbs 19, verse 11, here's what we read. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. A man needs to use discretion. He needs to weigh things up. That will help him become slow to anger. He needs to say, you know what? That's a fight worth fighting. That's an issue worth confronting. Or you know what? I'm going to let that one slide. It's my glory because it's God's glory to overlook a fault or an offense. And that offense could be great or that offense could be small. But I think the point I'm taking from this is you need to be realistic. You're going to have to use some discretion, some discernment. You're going to have to pick your fights. You need to realize, and I'm sure you do, but you forget this, and then you get all ticked off and wind up. Life doesn't always go our way, and people don't always do what we expect them to do, right? Now, be discerning about that. Just put that one down. Think about the doctrine of the fall of man often. Remind yourself you're living on the wrong side of Eden, that this world lies in the lap of the wicked one, that people are flawed individuals whose hearts are conclaved, whose actions are bent out of shape. And part of the process of being slow to anger will involve you thinking about that thought often. And reminding yourself that life requires you to do a lot of forgiving and a lot of forbearing. And if you're going to survive emotionally, and if you're going to rein in your emotions, you will need to adjust the world inside of you to the world outside of you. If you like everything to be proper and pretty, forget about it. You're going to be miserable and you're going to make everybody else miserable. Be repentant. Be realistic. This is not a denial of injury. 
or insensitivity on the part of others. It's simply a choosing to look past it and a giving it over to God or a realizing that it doesn't rise to the level where it needs to be confronted. People do dumb things and hurtful things, and sometimes life stinks, but you need to expect it to be that way. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus got us ready for that reality. Some years ago, I read the story of a a gardener in Britain who um, every spring and summer had to deal with a crop of dandelions that grew amidst his grass. And every time he cut his grass and cut the heads off the dandelions and it was a nice green carpet, after a while, these little white flowers would sprout back up. He got real ticked off about it. He went down to the local stores and got all that he could to deal with it, but they just kept coming and kept coming. And so he wrote to the experts in the Department of Agriculture in London asking them what he should do about the dandelions. He got a reply and it said this, get used to them. Some things you just got to get used to. I'm not in any way condoning sin. But I'm just telling you that you and I need to sometimes exercise a great deal of forbearance and patience, give each other a little bit of a wide berth, understand we are flawed characters. We are not perfect. We are something in progress. God's not finished with us. So I'm not going to get all flared up and give up on you because God hasn't given up on you. He's not finished with you yet, and I can't write you off and be finished with you either. We've all got to show some discretion. Be slow to anger. We've got to sometimes just look past in the glory of the knowledge of God's own grace towards us. Be redemptive. Be redemptive. Another way to diffuse damaging and unrighteous anger is to live redemptively. That is to act and react in the light of the cross. Instead of being angry with those that hurt him, Jesus showed forgiveness. He repaid their hatred with love. He repaid their violence with peace. And the book of Proverbs incites us to forgive also. Look at Proverbs 10, verse 20. This will help you deal with anger. If you cultivate a spirit of graciousness, if you are quick to forgive in the light of God's forgiveness towards you, you'll not be so angry or angry so long. Proverbs 10, verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. We read Proverbs 19.11, it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. We ought not to wish hurt to those that have hurt us. Look at Proverbs 24.29. Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. It seems to be an echo of Paul in Romans 12, doesn't it? Or Paul's probably an echo of this, where we're not to seek vengeance, where we're not to give evil for evil, but we're to give good for evil. The book of Proverbs encourages us to do what the cross teaches us to do. This is pre-Christian literature, but it's anticipating the great manifestation of God's love toward us in the death of his son for us, when God's righteous anger was extinguished in the cross. And when you and I come to the cross and find the forgiveness of God in the full payment of our sins through the suffering of Jesus Christ by means of atonement, our unrighteous anger can be extinguished at the cross, just as God's righteous anger was extinguished at the cross. I want you to hear this. 
as we wrap up, people who want to deal with anger cling to the cross. They don't hold on to their hurts. They don't nurse their wounds. They look at the wounds of Christ. They cling to the cross. They remind themselves that God's righteous anger was extinguished in the death of Jesus Christ so that we may be given something we do not deserve. Why can that transaction not take place between two sinners? If a righteous God can forgive me, an unrighteous man, how can I not, in the light of that cross, forgive those who are as unrighteous as I am? If you'll cling to the cross, you won't be as angry. In fact, I'll guarantee you that if you're angry and peevish and bitter and contentious, you've lost sight of the cross. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4, verse 31? He says, put away all bitterness and malice and anger. And then he goes on to say, and forgive one another, even as God has forgiven you. That's the trick. In his book, Lee, The Last Years, Charles Flood reports that after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky lady who took him to the remains of a grand old tree that used to be in the front of her house, but the federal artillery had blown at the smithereens and only a stump remained. And she went on about this injustice. She looked to Lee for a word of condemnation towards the north and at least some sympathy for her loss and her bitterness and her resentment. After a brief silence, the great Confederate leader said this, Dear lady, Cut it down and forget it. Cut it down and forget it. Seems to me that if you and I are to cut down those trees in our lives that are spreading roots of bitterness in our soul, if we're going to cut down those trees, we need to go to that one tree and remind ourselves of what God gave us and what God gave His Son so that He could give forgiveness to us. Oh, I hope that that's an encouragement. We live in an age of rage. I know some of us are struggling with anger. By God's grace, you can control it. It can be a river that is controlled between these principles and practices we've just talked about. It doesn't need to become a destructive flood. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Philip. This is Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy, and today you heard the conclusion of a message titled, Keeping Your Cool. You can hear it again when you visit ktt.org. Well, as Philip said a moment ago, sharing the truth of God's Word is our mission at Know the Truth. Each day we teach the life-changing truth of the Bible with listeners all over the country through the radio and internet, some hearing the gospel for the very first time. But without generous, like-minded believers like you, this ministry would not be possible. So, If you would like to help reach more souls for Christ, would you consider giving monthly as a truth ambassador or giving a one-time gift of any amount? Call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And as our way of saying thanks, we'll send you a dozen things God did with your sin and three things he'll never do. Every Christian has experienced days or even seasons of feeling extreme guilt over past sins, thinking God is angry or disgusted with them, sometimes even wondering if they're truly saved. Well, this book, 
calls readers to focus on the cross and remember that Christ has defeated our sins once and for all. It's yours with a gift of any amount to know the truth. Call 888-644-8811 or visit ktt.org. And one more thing, if you'd like to stay up to date on all things Know the Truth, be sure to connect with us on our social media channels. Just search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and click follow. This is Wayne Shepherd. Join us again next time for more convicting and encouraging Bible teaching from Philip DeCourcy. That'll be next time, right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen.